how to stream pitchers in fantasy, what stats to look for, how much fab should you spend, how many bench slots should we allocate to streaming. We'll discuss some of these questions with the SP streamer himself, Michael Simeone, next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. You know, with all the holiday season and gift giving and purchasing at stores, um, I think I'm the subject of fraud. I had my it's like the worst thing in the world when your credit card is you know has some fraud on it, and now you got to get a new one and change like every single thing online and call up people. You ever have that? Yeah, I hate it when all of a sudden I see all these charges for NFBC on my credit card. I don't know where they come from. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a different story. But uh, anyways, we got a great show planned today. We have the SP streamer on. He writes over at Rotographs as well. Please welcome to the show, Michael Simeone. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. What's going on? Not much. I uh, I know we've, you've... We've been trying to get me back on your podcast a couple of times. You've asked me, so I'm glad we finally able to work it out here. Absolutely. We're, we're glad to have you. And, you know, before we start the show, we do have to give you c- congrats here. You know, last week we had Ron Chandler who beat us. And, uh, well, you beat us in our home league, the Joes versus Pros, <laughs> which is half Joes and half Pros. And uh, we did okay. We came in third. You came in first. And I think uh, was it Dougie Shikawa came in second? Yeah, we came in first. Kind of cheating, though. <laughs> Not cheating, cheating, but someone didn't pay attention in our league and they didn't meet the minimum. I think that uh, pushed us over, Doug. Otherwise, I think we would have tied him. But still, you did pretty well, though. You, you had some good pickups. I mean, your mm-hmm. draft was very good. You had you drafted very well pitching-wise. And pitching-wise, you made the... I, I mean, one of the best pickups was Alec Manoa. You picked him up. Yeah, yeah. We. I mean, I, I co-managed that with my uh, brother-in-law, Joe Barbuto. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, he, we both definitely made certain pickups that were pretty key for us. And towards the end, we were just churning so much. We were streaming hitters, pitchers, everything towards the end, just trying to get those last points and ended up working out really well for us. Do you find, do you find that you, you tried this league, you played it any differently because it had some, uh, professionals from people in the industry, some people who are not from the industry, do you think you played it any differently? I actually don't. Um, I mean, ours is different than, you know, NFBC just be based on format. But um, no, I mean, I don't really I just, you know, I'm someone who, you know, draft preps and likes their guys and just kind of sticks with it and believes in, you know, my process. And um, I just do that, whether it's a home league or whether it's an expert league, it doesn't really matter to me. I just stick to the to the same strategy and uh, what I think is, you know, best the best route to go. Well, as commissioner of the league, I'd want to officially congratulate you on winning, whether you cheated or not, whether someone didn't <laughs> make their minimum, you still had to be there and be in that position to win. That's very true. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you mentioned you pick up players towards the end. Uh, this title of the uh, episode tonight is, is our streaming episode. And we want to talk to you all about uh, streaming. Hey, listen, you're the SP streamer, so we need to talk about that with you. Uh, first, can you do me a favor and just define in general what it means to stream players? Yeah, basically you're picking up a player for either, it depends what league, if you're a weekly league for the week or a daily league could be for the day. And you're basically just pick, picking them up because you think it's a good matchup or they're going to do well for that one game or that one week, and then you're going to kind of toss them back into the pool and move on to somebody else. Not like a long-term ad for your team. Right. A short-term, somebody that you're you're uh, uh, trying to use in the short-term, this week, next week, or so on and so forth. Um, question, though, do you find that with streaming, and we'll talk about pitchers specifically, but in general with players, do you find that you are holding these pitchers or players longer than the one two weeks or it's really these are just churning and churning and churning perpetually i think it depends on where you are in the season i mean early on there's always so many pitchers that you can 
go to stream early in the season and uh you know they end up playing really well like you know you could have streamed logan webb in some leagues or uh you know robbie ray was uh and you know if you're in a shallow league he was probably out there so um you know some t- i think in the beginning of the year i'm if I pick up someone that I think is performing well and then they continue to perform well, I might hold on just to see if that continues, um, you know, depending on their underlining stats and that kind of thing. Uh, but typically, I mean, it really depends. I, I won't hold on to, to them too long. Um, it's really pitcher dependent for me though. Um, as well as, you know, what I'm trying to get out of them too, and, and what their future schedule looks like. So I, I, I want to say both. I know it's a terrible answer, but that's the truth. <laughs> no, I mean, it is a good answer to say that, you know, beginning of the season, you'll lean towards holding and maybe it's, you know, one, two, three weeks and then drop if they're not performing and versus the end of the season, then it's churn, churn, churn. It, it's, that's definitely the correct way to think about it. Um, and before we talk more about the pitching, let's go to Ruvain on this one first. Um, aside from starting pitching, can other positions or what other positions might be or should be streamed? Relievers, 100% relievers because closing the closing situation is always changing. And you know what? That's exactly where you should be keeping track of who's up, who's on deck for to be closing. And that's probably the best place to stream. I mean, I guess you can stream steals. You can stream power but it's a lot harder i think pitching in general is a lot easier to stream than other positions and i think saves is one of the places, and closers and relievers is one of the places where you can just keep streaming middle relievers just to plug into your lineup that's interesting uh what about you michael any other positions yeah so i actually see people streaming hitters more and more compared to pitchers um and i think you can certainly stream hitters i did it a ton uh last year and what ended up, you know, getting pretty good results from me. You know, if you see like Darren Ruff facing a bunch of lefties in a week, he could certainly help you out. And, you know, he's someone you can maybe stream for the week. Um, so I, I think hitters for sure can can help. Um, you know, I think uh, Phil Dessau did that really well. He built a pitching staff in the draft that he didn't have to touch and he just kept churning hitters to get what he can. And as Ruby just mentioned, um, relievers as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it also depends on the format you're playing. In the NFBC, hitters line up set twice a week. Certainly, if you have twice a week or going to daily, that's a place where streaming is important because you want to face certain pitchers, certain hitters. You want you want to be in Colorado, right? There's different things that right. make you more viable to doing it. In a weekly, though, uh, I, I don't find myself streaming hitters all that much. I mean, you're turning more, I think, to find the hot player or for an injury replacement. In a weekly league, I don't find myself doing that with hitters. Aside from catcher, I would say that the catcher position is something that you can stream. Certainly, if you go the dollar route in home leagues that have one catcher, um, I wouldn't spend more than a dollar or two on any catcher, just a a last round or a second-to-last round pick. And if that guy doesn't work, I I don't go to pick up a certain person. I go to see whatever matchups are better for the week, and I can rotate and just stream in catchers. I think that's a good place. And I'd also say that utility slot, if you don't have a real designated hitter, uh, like a de- like an Otani or somebody, and it's free and it's just whoever your dollar players, you can use that slot to stream in. And that could be a strategy. So, you know, the question is, given that streaming is an option for hitters and also for pitchers too, obviously, which we'll talk about a lot uh, in this episode, um, does it stand to plan to to incorporate the streaming in terms of your draft? Meaning, are you changing your draft or what are you doing in your draft differently that makes you that that gets you to uh, afford yourself the opportunity to stream? Like, are you purposely going stars and scrubs so that your last slot can now be streamed, or do you do it by necessity? Meaning, well, if a guy gets injured, well, then I can stream it. Like, are you putting that emphasis in your draft or not? I mean, me personally, I'm not, uh, just because you know your your players are going to get hurt, or now we always have to deal with COVID as well. So players are going to go down. Um, so I'm just trying to take, you know, who I think can help my team long-term in draft, because I know someone is going down, and most likely several people are going down. So I'm going to end up having a stream regardless. So I don't really plan to, you know, 
I don't plan a specific spot in my lineup where I'm just going to constantly churn it. Um, I'd much rather just grab who I think my team needs for the long term because I know I'm going to end up having to, you know, bring someone in regardless. Fair point. Move it. I think it also matters about roster size. I mean, it's so much, it's so hard to be able to plan your roster. If you know you only have five bench spots, let's say in NFBC, five bench spots, or you only have six or seven bench spots, it's hard to be able to, you know, pick, make your whole draft based on the fact that you want to stream because you are just like, just like Michael said, you're going to need those spots for injured players and need those spots for injured players. It's, it makes it so much harder to be able to plan streaming because you could go stars and scrubs. Yes, you can. It, it 100% you probably could do that because you know what? You probably may end up going stars and scrubs anyway because of injury, and you may end up streaming just because of that. But it's so hard based on the roster construction, especially in NFBC, to have a one to be able to plan it to have one spot open just for streaming. Well, I would say that the active roster should not in a draft – be thought of as I'm going to stream this spot. I think you go to pick players who are going to be there for the year. However, the bench slots, especially in deeper bench leagues, even the NFBC had a seven bench slots, I think that it's okay to plan and say, you know what, I'm going to take these three spots and stream with the bench on those. Um, going into the season, a very popular pick was Adam Wainwright at the very beginning of the season, not because everybody really thought Adam Wainwright's going to have a fantastic season, which turned out he did, but they picked him because he was facing the Pirates twice in the first uh, couple of weeks. So, oh my goodness, why don't we take him? We'll play him the first two weeks. If he's great, great. And if not, we'll dump him in three weeks, but we get some good matchups. So I think that the bench is streamable and you should plan the last couple of your bench slots for streamable people or at least give you the opportunity to do so or or upside people you know things like that uh, but not in your in your active roster I would not do that in fact you 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 probably have heard me on the show last year talk about if I if I don't have a good matchup for starting pitcher in the first couple of weeks in the first month or two I don't want to play uh, pitchers who I'm streaming, I'm picking up. I'd rather throw in an extra middle reliever. That's why I was very big on having Chad Green on the team because I don't have a good seventh starter. I'll throw in Green. He'll get me a bunch of strikeouts, maybe a vulture win, um, and just some great ratios. So uh, I don't believe in streaming early on, and you definitely only bench spots for the roster. Um, talking about streaming starting pitchers and, you know, just a general question. Um, we have a mailbag question from Mike who asks, what's the first piece of advice you would give someone just learning the idea of streaming? Let's say you, Michael. Oh, um, I actually replied jokingly, and I said go to spstreamer.com. <laughs> um, but uh, it's you're, it's not going to be fun. <laughs> That's what I would say. Um, I, no, I would honestly would just say I'm trying to develop a process into, you know, where what to look for. What do you think is best to look for when you're going to be streaming pitching? And just to kind of stick with it because you're ne not always going to be right. It's impossible. Um, there's no foolproof, you know, plan when it comes to streaming. So even if it starts off bad, just kind of stick with it because I can't tell you like, you know, I track my streaming um, for, for my website and my Twitter account. And like, I feel like every season I start off horribly, but I just stick with what I know and what I've, you know, studied and whatnot. And it ends up all working out in the end. Uh, so definitely don't, you know, don't get too frustrated too early on, I would say. Okay. So, you know, let's try to give the listeners here some uh, some plan or some good tangible advice here. Now, obviously, you want to pick good matchups. Obviously, you want to pick players with two-start status that's better, maybe a good future two-start. Obviously, the higher preseason ranking players would be better than the lower ones. If a player is doing really great year-to-date, that's better than not. But if we had to put priorities and rank the first, the top couple of things that you would look at to picking the right streaming starting pitcher, how would you say the first top three things would be in order of importance? Um, yeah, so kind of what I do is um, I, I kind of figured out, or I guess from what I can tell, is that I think pitcher performance is a little more important than opponents. And, um, I really like to look at, you know, like the last three starts, basically. Um, if I see a pitcher's K walk percentage is trending, um, if their whiff rate is trending and then, um, 
one obvious, very important thing too, that you always have to keep an eye on is pitcher velocity. You know, if the fastball velocity is starting to trend up, um, you know, that means that good things could be coming. And um, I've always heard Eno Saris kind of talk about it. Someone, someone did a study that um, if a pitcher's velocity, I think, is up for three starts in a row, that that means that good starts are going to kind of continue for a couple more starts and the velocity could stick as well. Um, so I, I like to look at those three things specifically. Um, and again, more so look at pitchers' stats than compared to opponents. Obviously, opponent stats is important as well. Um, but I think pitching stats are slightly more important than that. Okay, moving your thoughts. I agree a little bit. I, I mean, I I look at the K rate. I want to see if he's, the if the pitchers are striking out. But I do like to look at and I really look at the schedule. I want to see if they're two start this week. I want to see if the two start next week. I want to see if they they're pitching in a five man rotation versus a six man rotation. I want to see how the team is playing. If they're playing, if they're playing well, they have a better chance of wins. I want to see where they're playing the stadium because I don't want someone who's going to be in Colorado and then two five days later they're going to be in by the Dodgers. That that's not a good matchup even though the pitcher may be great he may be someone like an Austin Gomber and he may be really really you know you see your strikeouts and they're so tantalizing but some of those matchups just scare me away so I look at the matchups yes looking at the last three starts is good and you and, and you can look at the name also if the I mean when I see Adam Wainwright like not last year but the year before he was on the wave wire for almost the entire year you could have had him anytime you wanted you could have gone safe and taken Adam Wainwright as opposed to a rookie who was just brought up and you don't know where you're going to get out of him uh, you know sometimes just the name itself plays into my thinking also yeah, and you know, I'm really looking to learn here myself because it's not something that I do very well in terms of picking the right person. I mean, uh, to me, I, I think I have just as good a chance as anybody else. Um, you know, I pick, I I was Gombered this year. I picked up Gomber for one league. I had Joe Ross uh, for for a league or so. Um, you know, I I I really don't have the the right ideas. Um, but I will tell you what stats I look at. Um, I do look at K minus BB because I think mm -hmm. that a pitcher who's trending in that is going to have a great future in for the for the year. Uh, I think that K minus BB stabilizes very quickly, so you can know right away that this guy is for real in just even four or five starts. Um, pitcher velocity, as you mentioned, that's a key one. But here's one thing I look at a lot. I look at uh, innings per game started. I mean, if a pitcher is constantly going just five innings a game, not that thrilled to have him because there's a lower chance for wins. For me, a lot of the reason that I want to pick up a pitcher streaming is because I want the strikeouts and I want uh, I want the opportunity for a win, especially later in the year when you're just trying to buy wins. I want a guy who's going to win games. If I'm picking a two-star pitcher, it's because I have two two opportunities to win a game. And the more they pitch deeper into games, the better. So I'm very big on which pitcher is going deep into games. Um, do you agree with that, Michael? And do you have any other stats that you would consider as well? I mean, I do agree with that. Um, the only problem is, which we all know is winnings are impossible to predict. Um, so I think it's definitely something to look at, but I don't think it's something that would be too crucial for me. Um, but I mean, obviously like Ruben said, I mean, yeah, you, you gotta look at, of course I look at matchups as well. Um, I mean, you know, especially the extremes, you're not going to throw a pitcher out in Coors Field. It just doesn't make sense. Um, but on, in terms of the opponent side, I do look at, um, you know, like the opponents WRC plus the last seven days, um, you know, their, their splits as well against lefties versus righties, uh, their K percentage splits, lefties versus righties. So I do look at certain things as well for the opponents. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's obviously an all encompassing type of thing. Um, but you know, like I said, I just kind of stress a little more on, on pitcher talent than compared to opponents, but opponent obviously definitely matters. <laughs> right. And you know, this is going to be a tough question to answer, but you know, I mentioned, I got Gombert and for, for those who don't know, um, Austin Gomber was the pitcher for the Rockies who, uh, um, just got shelled one out and yeah, every, everyone picked him up off the waiver wire cause he had a supposedly good matchup at a good pitcher's park. And he gave up uh, some god awful number of runs and really killed it. Um, and actually, you, by the way, by the way, do you remember who who that matchup was? It was San Francisco, right? It was at San Francisco, uh -huh. and he gave up seven hits and nine earned runs mm. that day. Yeah, in in an inning and two thirds. 
happens to be he actually had a pretty good rest of the season for when he pitched. But, he, you know, if they just kill people because, of course, everyone dropped him that weekend. Mm-hmm. So whoever streamed him, you certainly don't want a niner and run thing. How can how can we avoid getting gombered? Uh, is it about avoiding pitching against certain teams? Is it about avoid? Uh, is there a red flag? Maybe it's about red flags. Are there red flags in a pitcher that you say, "Uh oh, I better stay away. Don't get fooled and get gombered." Uh, I'll be honest with you, and it's a terrible answer. It's impossible to figure that out. Um, it happens all the time, um, and you know, like I like I said, I. I track everything that I do for my account and it's just no matter what I do, no matter how good the process is, it could be against the pirates. It could be against the worst team. Like you're going to run into those. It just, it's the way the game is, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'd say also is that I would check whether a pitcher has been really lucky. Because a lot of times you say, well, he's been great in the last three starts. But if you drill down to it and see, wait a minute, that BABIP was really unusually low or that uh, strand rate was unusually high, uh, then you can say, eh, I think he was getting away with it. And maybe that's a red flag for, mm, I don't know. Uh, or he's a soft tosser, and soft tossers are prone that if they don't hit their points, they start walking people, they start getting runs. Uh, maybe those are some red flags. I don't know. Ruvain, anything to add? Yeah, it's it's a matter of watching what, you know, you can see how someone pitches, but then you really see how they pitch. If, if you see someone is, is getting into a groove and they're starting to, and they maybe they found something, then you know who to take. But the problem is, I think you have to avoid taking two-star pitchers earlier in the season. That's why people got gombered. This happened the last week in April, and it killed people's ERA to for almost for, for a couple months it took months to be able to recover from that so i think it's probably just avoiding the two star pitchers early on in the season in order to avoid getting gombered and having your era being gombered i think that's the key i think i think the problem is too though like even you see, even see that it happen to aces you know you could some of the best pitchers in the league you could see that they get lit up once in a while too um so that's why i just feel like it's just so you can do everything right and look at everything you want to look at, and I just feel like it's unfortunately inevitable. Basically, what you're trying, what you, everything you look at, what you're trying to do is limit that as much as possible. Um, but I don't think it's, um, you know, I feel like it's not possible to completely avoid that happening to you, no matter what you look at. Um, you know, I'm not saying every year it's gonna, but like, you know, you're you're gonna run into it as you play, you know, fantasy baseball throughout the years, so. <laughs> Like, you know, like you said, you got gombered, Ariel, and I'm sure you did everything right in terms of your process, but it, it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hope I did everything right with the process, but yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not sure in this case. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the aces. Of course, with the aces, though, you're also getting all the good starts with the aces. No, and, right. And right. then and then you're getting there. I mean, we talked I'm just about, saying that it's like random, you know, it's right, right, pretty right. random when it comes to that happening. <laughs> right, right. But it's worse because then you're getting just the downside and then you don't get the upside. Like Luis Castillo, yeah, whoever had Luis Castillo got shelled in the first two months. But the last couple of months, hope you all kept him because he was excellent the rest of the year. Um, you know, at least you get that upside from the aces with these streamers. They, they gomber you, you throw them away and they could be good or bad. doesn't matter. They're not on your roster uh, and you just get the downside. So uh, that's an issue. And again, you know, that's why I recommend going the middle reliever route early on. I mean, uh, only stream. I think you only stream pitchers if you have to by necessity. If if you have injuries on your team uh, and you have to, well, you know, you pick the best available the, with with all the stats and everything that we discussed above. Um, and as you said, yeah, I guess you just can't avoid always getting uh, getting it right. Sometimes you will get a shell. You know, just mm-hmm. not hard, not easy to avoid that. Yeah. Um, all right, now we talked about picking up pitchers and you know what kinds of pitchers to look at, but I think a very important question is in terms of budgeting fab because this is now a use of the waiver wire. You know, fab can be used for picking up a really good guy that just comes up. I mean, we mentioned that you did it with Alc Manoa, and I'm sure you paid a, you paid a pretty penny to get him. Um, it's also you use fab for injuries that come up where you just need a replacement. Question is, how do you? use the fab for this like what's the price points that you want to pay per week 
Do you pay more early in the season, later in the season? Is there like a do you allocate some of your fab and budget it and say, all right, thirty percent of my fab is going to be for streaming weekly pitchers? How do you work the fab in terms of the strategy here? Um, I like to be more conservative with fab. So, although I think in our league we kind of ran out of it quickly, but um, I so I don't really like to spend much if at all on streaming. I'd rather you know um, find like three, four to five guys that I I like in terms of streaming, and I'll just you know throw them all in for a dollar one after the other, and whichever one I get, I get. Um, so I don't really I don't really like to spend too much on it. Um, I will spend more though if i do think the pitcher obviously is onto something you know if like we talked about if their strikeout rate just keeps going up and looks like they made a pitch mix change and then their velocity is rising like if i think they're more of a long-term ad i will spend a little more but when it comes to just short term for one week or two weeks i try to spend as little as possible honestly because kind of like you just mentioned i mean injuries and whatever like or if someone gets called up i want to have that fab money to get those guys that could be you know game winners you know right yeah i mean you know you have each week there's let's say about 25 weeks so you're spending on average four percent um i I mean i personally would only spend one or two percent uh on fab later in the season if you have the cash you can up that somewhat to you know, make sure you win the guy you want. But mm-hmm. for me, it's 1% to 2% because I want to keep the return on investment high. And the return on investment on streaming pitchers is very, very low. Because even yeah. if you have a good successful week, you're probably not playing them more than one week. Obviously, if you are taking a guy who might be long-term, then this doesn't count as a streamer, per se. But, I mean, I, you got to spend next to nothing. You agree, Ruben? I agree, but I want to add something to that as well. After the first couple of weeks, you can take a look at the fab uh, and see what happened during the week in fab and see who is going after those streamers just like you are. And you can see how much money they're putting into their budget and how much money they're spending on their streamers that are beating you out. So you'll know who, how much to spend for the next week. So let's say you always see a guy is always spending $2 and you're always spending $1. So now you know, you know what? If I really want this guy for this week to stream, I'm going to spend the $3 instead of the one that I would normally spend. And, you know, that's just something to learn over the course of the season. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's and that's, point. yeah, yeah and, and that's really determining what you need to win a player. And of course, if you you know really want the player, you'll you'll know what you'll at least know where you are in terms of what you need to get him. If you see what the the market or what you know your what your league is doing, so that's a great point. Um, so we talk about fab there. Let's talk about bench slot management. Now, let's say you have the NFBC, which is seven slots, um, inclusive of the IL, and let's talk about the other extreme, possibly with uh, like an ESPN standard league where there's three bench slots. Um, what do you do in terms of slot management? Do you allocate some of the bench to streaming? Does it matter early in the year, later in the year? How, how do you use your bench for this? ESPN only has three bench spots. I didn't know. That's that. right. In, this, in <laughs> that's, the ESPN standard game, yeah. That's but uh, it, it's it, it's a ten it's a ten it's a ten team mixed league, so uh, gotcha. the waiver wire is very fruitful. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean. I, I typically, I'm trying to think, I see the problem with me is I'm, I, for me, it really kind of depends on how I feel about my pitching staff. Um, if I feel like I don't have a lot of risk in my pitchers, then I probably won't keep as many slots and for streaming pitching. Um, whereas if I think I went with a little bit riskier of a staff, I'll probably leave, you know, like, I don't know, I'd say like two, three spots type of thing. Um, so it's really kind of team dependent for me and how I, you know, what I think I'll end up needing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would typically, I mean, ESPN, I don't really play, uh, but I, I guess I would say at least one spot in there, but, um, NFBC, I would, I would lean around, um, you know, probably three to four for pitching for starters. Three to four yeah. spots. Okay. Ruben, you, you agree? 
I I try to do a little less than that, maybe two, two or th- two to three. I mean, it's not that much less, but it's still a little yeah. less. <laughs> um, I, I I think that there should be at least one streaming starter spot and one to two streaming middle relief spot because I know me and you are we like to stream the middle relievers, and having those. You have the prospective closer. You have the possibility of being able to use this guy anytime you want. If he's a high leverage guy, you can vulture saves like you mentioned before. So I think the the middle relievers, if you have two guys on your bench that you can plug in at any time, if you get an injured guy and you find out on Monday morning that you don't have a spot to fill and you have that middle reliever, you can just plug him in. Yeah, I mean, uh, you do the NFBC with me, so I, I definitely agree in that use. I will say, though, that towards the end of the year, the one to two streaming spots on, on your bench turn more into maybe three, four even, because I'm trying to pick up future two-star pitchers. I'm, you know, It'll cost me a pretty penny for the best pitcher that week, but if you look ahead, who's going to have a good matchup or two-star matchup two weeks from now, you can get them for next to nothing, and so I'll allocate one extra or two extra even spots and stash those uh, very late in the season. We're talking August and September. ESPN. However, however, however yeah. if you're, let's say, in the middle of July or August, and your ERA is shot, your whip is shot, you can allocate your entire bench if you wanted to to stream because you got nothing to lose. You have only uh, only points to gain, so there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to do something like that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's all context-dependent and how, yeah. you know, d- September, it, it, it's wherever it's whatever works for your team. It, you know, it's all, uh, there's no rules. It's just, uh, you know, do what you need to do. But on average, that that's what I, I find myself. It's more 3-4. Um, yeah. I was going to say ESPN, uh, three bench slots. I think you have to have at least one pitcher because there's no way that I, I'm having the exact same staff pitch every single week in that. So there's a minimum, minimum one. Uh, and you're always going to have somebody who's underperforming as a hitter. So that third spot, you know, could be uh, somebody you're waiting for, could be uh, could be a pitcher, could be a hitter. I think it's one, maybe a second if your team just is super safe and, and you can afford not having a, a, a second hitter on the bench, that kind of thing. All right. So that was great discuss- great discussion today, and uh, you know, thank you for that, Michael. Um, mm-hmm. Let's do a couple of player debates. We're doing a couple of the player debates before the ATC projections come out, just to see where we stand. Some players who are somewhat similarly valued uh, in ADP, and see what we like or not like about them. But before before we do that, it's time for the injury gurus trivia of the week. Well, we're going to talk about some pitchers now. We're going to debate some pitchers. The pitchers we're going to be mentioning, well, we'll get to them soon. But at first, the trivia. There are actually two questions this week. The first question, Michael, let's see if you can get this. Only two pitchers have thrown 190-plus innings and have had over 195 strikeouts in 2019 and 2021. Who are they? Uh, would one be Cole? Uh, can you Is beat one that of them Cole? Can you I beat said, the, those numbers? Oh, uh, uh, over 190 innings mm-hmm. and over 195 strikeouts in both 2019 and 2021. Only two. Would one of them be Cole? No. <laughs> Ooh, sure. Is um, well, I know we we're going <laughs> to talk about a certain player, so I'm guessing uh, it's Sandy Alcantara. No, actually, he no? <laughs> just missed it. The two pitchers are Jose Berrios and mm-hmm. Zach Wheeler. Oh, interesting. Now, oh, wow. to bring up the players we're going to be discussing, who name, can you name the top five pitchers with the highest K total from 2019, 2020, and 2021 combined? The Ooh. top five strikeout guys combined in the last three years. Yeah, Cole's got to be there, right? Cole's yeah. number one. Cole's <laughs> number one. Yeah, and, and Alcantara, since we're talking about him, right? Alcantara <laughs> just misses, actually. Oh, jeez. What about <laughs> Scherzer? Scherzer's number two. Uh, Nola. Nola is the one we're going to be talking about. He's number four. 548 <laughs> strikeouts over the last three I, years. I'll go with DeGrom just to see if... Uh, uh, yeah. No, he didn't pitch enough. Mm, yeah, all right. Number three is Robbie Ray. 505, uh, 551 strikeouts. Cole, by the way, had 663. Scherzer had 571. And number five on the list, Lucas Giolito at 526. Well, so the three players we're going to be talking about are going to be Sandy Alcantara, Lucas Giolito, and Aaron Nola. Michael, who do you have? Um, between those three? So it's hard. Um, 
I feel like Gilito and Nola are kind of the same pitcher. <laughs> um, they both kind of have these home run, this little home run issue happening with them. Um, but I still like both of them over Alcantara. Um, I want to lean Nola, but I'm definitely biased there because I've always been a Nola lover. And uh, I just, I, I like his underlining metrics a lot more. Um, Alcantara just kind of worries me because everyone's relying on this new strikeout rate that he got towards the end of the year um, based on a pitch mix change. And I just want to see that pitch mix change. You know, I want to see him keep that for another season before I really buy into that higher strikeout rate. So before Ruvain gives your answer, uh, just to tell you that their ADPs are really similar. They're late third rounders. For the last month in the NFBC, Alcantara 37, Giolito 39, Nola 40. Last year, rotisserie earnings, Alcantara 18, Giolito 16, Nola only 8. Ruvain? Well, Sandy Alcantara, you thought he was one of the top strikeout pitchers, which is common to think that because he threw 197 innings in 2019 and 205 in 2021. But his K rate is still only around 8.8. So he's his ground balls have been going up since 2019. So he's getting more outs. He's going deeper into games, but the strikeouts just aren't there, like for Giolito and like for Nola. Giolito, he's his ADP is like around 40 right now. He's gone 173 innings, 176 innings, 178 innings with a higher K per nine rate on a better team, so he gets you more wins. But I'm a Nola guy. Nola, we've been high, we were high on him even before before 2020. He didn't do that well this past year, but he's got two years now of over 200 innings. Um, last year, he, I mean, uh, last year he had 100. Uh, he, he's, I'm sorry, he's had two years over 200 innings. Last year he only had 180. He's getting less ground balls, more fly balls, but his home run to fly ball rate is staying the same. With that and knowing that he had the fourth most strikeouts over the past three years, I'm going for Nola. All right, so just a little bit about each pitcher here on my end. Um, you know, what What I like about Alcantara and his use uh, going forward is I like the fact that his ground ball rate is now over 50%. Um, that, I think, is something that even if his strikeout rate was propped up a little bit last year, that is a, a, a nice thing that his ground ball rate is there, which means that I think there's more margin for error for him. And I think that you will not get a big of blow up season possibility from him. Like I, I think that even if you think that he he was just lucky or just playing over his head at the end of last year, I think that his 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 propensity towards blowing up is not. So he's a safer pick than some of the others. I think Giolito has a lot more uh, a possibility for downside. I mean, Giolito was very lucky last year. Lucky strand rate. His ground ball rate tanked. Um, his Sierra much higher than his his uh, uh, actual ERA. Um, I think I, the Ks are there, but you know that was true for Chris Archer. I just think Giolito is prone to the blow up. I'm never a Giolito fan. I think he's way overpriced. Um, Aaron Nola to me is the better pitcher. I mean, I think that Nola um, was unlucky last year. He cut his walk rate to just five percent. He got cheated, um, 67% strand rate, which is lucky. His Sierra was 326, even though his ERA was a full point higher, actually more than that. It was 4.63, so he was pretty unlucky. He's got the innings pitch. He's thrown 180. Um, he's thrown twice over 200. He pitched pretty much full innings in 2020. I think Nola really is an underpriced per, uh, player. I think he you can spot a bargain, and I think Alcantara is safe. My order is uh, Nola, then Alcantara, then Giolito, and Ellen Adair, of course, would endorse me. So, uh, gotta <laughs> no, go. Of course, gotta go course. by that. Definitely. Any other thoughts about the three? Well, I actually, I just don't understand why people are so into Alcantara this year. Yes, he's thrown over. He threw over two hundred innings, but he's still playing for Miami. He's not going to get you the same amount of wins mm -hmm. that Philly could or that Lucas Giolito could on the, on the White Sox. It just doesn't make any sense to me why he's in that same spot, which is why I brought up the trivia question and why I think even Jose Barrios may be a better fit for, for a team if you need, if you want innings and if you want strikeouts because he'll get, I think he'll get more and he's proven he can get more than Alcantara can. Yeah, but I mean, he, he, he's safe. Alcantara to me is safe. I, I really don't, I see stability and, I, and it's, every number of his is trending the right direction. So whether you think there's a correction or not, uh, it's very stable. Whereas Nola's had good and bad, Giolito, he's had. I mean, he had that blow up start in the middle of the year. 
Um, I think he's a safe person, and he strikes out people, and he pitches deep. He had over 200 innings last year. Um, so the wins might be light, but I think the whip is going to be there. So uh, I just wish he was priced a little bit better. He He's going in, in the late third round. I, I can't see myself taking a stab that early, but certainly if he was going fifth round, I think it's a no-brainer for the level stability. I mean, Greg, Zach Greinke did that kind of thing, and he dropped sixth, seventh round in the last couple of years. I, I think that you know he throws more strikeouts, and, and he's completely safe. Um, and he pitches in a great ballpark, you know. All right. Next uh, debate is Nelson Cruz or Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini coming back from some cancer. Nelson Cruz might be 85 years old. We don't know. <laughs> uh, their ADPs are roughly identical. Cruz at 177, Mancini 180. That's about 11th, 12th round. Um, I mean, Cruz in the first half was looking like Nelson Cruz of old. Little bit of a regression in the second half. He only hit 226. Still had 14 homers. So these are old man skills, old man with power skills. Um, the question is, is that a sign of things to come? Because obviously this is a potential 40 home run, 300 batting average guy, or it could be a little bit down. But regardless of what he is, Mancini is certainly doesn't have the upside of Cruz. So the question is, who would you rather take at that point in the draft? Um, I, I've never really, I'm always afraid of Cruz and it's always come back to bite me, obviously. Um, but I, I not a fan of, I mean, I don't know if this is a fault of mine. I don't know how you guys feel about it too, but I just don't like someone that I have to leave in the utility spot, you know, and I can't, I, I don't like someone that limits, you know, what I could do with my roster kind of. Um, so I've always kind of stayed away from him, but, um, and I think I would lean Mancini still just because one, I'm super like, I'm a big ageist guy. Like I just, I can't, I don't want to roster someone who's 40 years old on my team. Um, and I think Mancini, I think his power kind of, um, just tanked in the second half, really just due to stamina and, you know, it's his first season back. Like, as you mentioned, coming back from, uh, it was cancer, right? Um, so I think we see more power from Mancini next season. I think he gets to 30 again. So I, I would lean Mancini just because of age. And I feel like he could end up putting up the same power numbers as Cruz. Yeah. It's a 12 year difference in age, which is kind of crazy. Mm. Uh, before I ask Ruvain though, just a little bit about the utility spot there. Um, I, I, I think that people overthink what the value of that DH hoarding up is. Um, I think that, uh, the replacement level is so even position-wise at the bottom, especially in shallow, for shallower leagues, for sure. Uh, but even in deeper leagues, I think there is a small ding for it, but I think that the ding that people think it is is not really correct mathematically. Nice. Yeah. And, and that's why I think he's traditionally underpriced. Obviously, Cruz, because you never know when he's going to conk out. He's, you know, 40. But, you know, take a guy like Fran Reyes. He's in a DH spot. Who cares? The guy is five, six rounds underpriced yeah. um, because, oh, I don't want to hoard my DH spot. It's worth a round or two at that level. It's not worth uh, six rounds, things like that. Um, I mean, certainly if you look at all the good utility players over the last couple years, you'd actually see that, oh, I should have taken that guy. Man, if you would have said, I don't want Otani in the 10th round last year because that might clog up my DH spot, I mean, I certainly think that that would have been a bad result, right? Moving. Yeah, I, I think it all is going to depend on where Nelson Cruz ends up. If he ends up in an NL park where he's going to be playing every basically every day, and he, let's say he let's say um, I'm not going to say God forbid, but let's say he ends up with Philadelphia, and he has to and he plays as a DH in Philadelphia with Bryce Harper in that lineup in that band box of a field, I would take Nelson Cruz if he's 41, 42, or 43 because he's still going to hit home runs. People shied away from David Ortiz the year before he retired, but I think he hit over 300 and hit over 35 home runs the year before, the year before he retired. So I think I think Nelson Cruz is the way to go. Mancini, the one uh, positive for that is that he's eligible at first base. So because he's eligible at first base, it gives you some more flexibility, but you can still get, if you want raw power, Nelson Cruz is still a better play than Trey Mancini. 
So I'm, I'm going to agree with Michael on this one. Um, I mean, first of all, obviously, it really does depend on where he signs. You know, if he signs in a pitcher's park, then obviously his value gets shot. Uh, but, uh, you know, assuming it's neutral, we don't know. It's going to be some AL team or NL if they have the DH. Um, I'd rather Mancini. And, you know, I, I think I think Steamer seems like they're – I'm looking at Steamer projections – 267, 32 homers. I don't know. Uh, he had 14 homers in the last half. I think his new level going forward with age and regression, it's got to be 20 to 25. Maybe I can get to 30, but I, I can't get over 30 for me. And I think the batting average is going to turn into old man skills. I would say I would project something between 250 and 260. So I don't agree with the steamer projection. Uh, it's not a it's not a value. It's just a projection thing that I just don't agree with them. Uh, Mancini, uh, steamer has 27 homers, 257 batting average. I actually think it could be even light. I, th- I can see him hitting more, which he did po- pre-injury. Um, you know, projection systems don't really account for the fact that somebody was sick a certain year. They're just taking projections and, and their weighting average of the past season. So maybe it took him a little while to get going. And I think he can probably beat both of those 27 homers, 257 average. And for me, the 12-year difference, I, I mean, for players who are roughly projected for around the same range, I'd certainly rather take the the younger guy. So I, I would go with Mancini. Um, I'm not going to say it's a, by a wide margin, but more than just a small margin. I think I, I, I would take Mancini because I think he's undervalued, and I think Cruz is a little bit overvalued even. Remember, Nelson Cruz only played 140 games last year. That's f- almost 14 or 15 less than Trey Mancini, and he was still on pace. If he played 162 games, he was on pace to hit over to hit close to 40 home runs. So I don't know how you can say that. And yes, he had a, a poor second half of the season, but you know, I, he still he, all those home runs count. All those home runs in the beginning of the season count. They count at the end of the season. So it doesn't matter when you get them. If he's if he can still be on pace for thirty five home runs, I still think that's more home runs that than Trey Mancini is going to hit next year. Yeah, I'm certainly he has more upside. I I, I yeah. can't see a forty homer Mancini season. I can definitely see that with Cruz. So it's just a question of hey, is this the year or not? And so far we've been wrong the last. 15 years from now, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so so there you go. But I, I, I'll bet on the younger guy. Um, all right, we'll do one more here. How about a hometown one for us in New York? Aaron Judge or Pete Alonzo? Now, this is a question of not who do you like better more than who do you like better for value. Judge is going at pick 42. Alonzo is going 61. Or maybe you flat out like Alonzo better. What uh, say you, Michael? What, what do you think the difference is between the two? Yeah, I mean, they're pretty much, you know, they're power hitters. We, you know, they're kind of the same person. Um, but the difference is with Judge, he hits for better average than compared to Pete Alonzo. But then for Pete Alonzo, he's more likely to stay healthy than Judge. You know, um, I think it's just a matter of do we think we're going to see over 600 plate appearances for Judge again? Because um, obviously he has had health issues the past several seasons. So um, I think that's. You know, that's tough. Um, I would lean Judge just because, again, I think they both have the same amount of power, but Judge can bring you that, you know, 280 average that Alonzo can't. And, um, you know, believe it or not, he gets a couple bags too, Judge. So um, I, I would lean Judge. Um, I I would just, ha- you just have to hope he stays healthy. That's the only thing. Yeah, so I mean, Ruben can talk to the health about it, um, but I think just in a vacuum, it's Judge versus Alonzo easily um, because of the outfield versus first base eligibility, because of the uh, yeah, because of the extra batting average in an OBP league. The difference is even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Michael, in terms of per value, I mean, I gotta say, I think it's Alonzo. You're getting an, a round and a half discount for yes. nearly the same stats. Right? They're both 40 homer players. They're both going to get 100 RBI type guys. Um, I, I don't think that the extra, you know, 15 points in batting average is worth 15 slots or so um, at this point. Actually, 20 slots, uh, I should say. That's a lot. Um, you, you agree with that? That per value, Alonzo? Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, Ruvain, how about you? And what is uh, Judge's status with the injury? Judge is healthy. I, I don't. Judge was healthy all last year. The only issue, only time he missed time last year is really because of COVID. So I think he's going to be perfectly fine. He had the rib issue that he dealt with. You can see last year that he got over it, and he has the possibility of being in the MVP of the American League. He has the possibility of being the best player in the American League. So can Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso played 
part of the first half of the season with a problem with a problem with his thumb. He got hit with a pitch, and he had him go on the aisle for a little bit. Second half of the season, he played 74 games. He batted 275, 20 homers. He batted 249 in the first half with 17 homers. So that's a very quiet, quote-unquote quiet, 37 home runs. But he really took off in the second half. He had nine more hits in the second half than the first half. His BABIP was up 20 points compared to the, from the second half to the first half. You're not going to get speed from him. But he also, Alonzo had no help in that lineup last year. He had nobody. If Look at the Mets lineup now. They have speed up top. They have Starling Marte who can, who can get on base, cause havoc. I mean, I don't know how many bases he's going to steal when he's with the Mets. He's not going to like he's being traded to uh, Oakland. They can give him the green light. I don't know if they're going to do that per se. But having people in front of him in the lineup... That, that helps. But listen, Aaron Judge also, he now has lefties in the lineup. He, I know pe- people were very down on Joey Gallo and what he did, but when he, with Joey Gallo in that lineup, that lineup is so much more balanced for the Yankees. Aaron Judge can be actually even better. But position-wise, you mentioned Aaron Judge. He plays outfield. There are four first basemen ahead of Alonzo in the draft right now, according to ADP. Vlad, uh, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, and Paul Goldschmidt. After him, it's Jose Abreu, and then there's a huge drop, a huge drop. So if you don't get Pete Alonso in that spot, you're gonna your replacement. I mean, who are you gonna get? If you want to get someone instead of Aaron Judge in that in instead of Aaron Judge in that spot, forty picks later, around around when Pete Alonso is being picked, you can get J D Martinez. J D Martinez can have similar stats to Aaron Judge. Yeah, I mean Alonso is really super stable, and to be honest with you, I think Judge. I think even with the injuries, I think he's pretty stable. I think those are both good buys for the slot, uh, but Alonzo one to me is uh, unbelievably good. I mean, if if he's around to pick sixty one, uh, that that that's a buy 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 all day. I think. I, how can you get forty home runs in in pick sixty one? And 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 he's not going to have a batting average that'll kill you. And uh, the runs and RBIs will be up. The Mets are certainly a better lineup than they were last year. Uh, I I think it's it's definitely a slam dunk. Um, all right, mailbag. We have a couple of really good questions. I'm actually going to ask these two questions together as they were paired with each other. Um, curious to hear your thoughts. I actually have a very specific answer to all these, but curious to hear your thoughts first, Michael. Governor of Givener asks, and then followed by Jason asks a follow-up. The questions are, with pitching getting pushed up in recent years, what pit- pitcher-hitter split do you now use in your evaluations? And the follow-up question is, but in addition, for the dollars earned at the end of the season, what do you use to calculate that? Remember, p- pitcher injury risk has been removed at the p- after that point, meaning basically the question is what do you do for drafts in terms of p- hitter-pitcher slit, and what do you use to calculate actual values at the end of the year in terms of hitter-pitcher slit after the season's over? Uh, are, you, are we talking, do you mean like auction-wise? Yeah, we're we're talking auction wise, but of course, you know, you can always translate auction over to draft rankings. But yes, I think we're talking more auction here. Um, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I don't even remember. I couldn't even tell you what I did last year. Um, I missed this question. I didn't see him put it in there. I would have to see if I could find it. <laughs> um, I don't know. All right. So, what, do you, what do you do? Yeah, I have a yeah, very. I'm, I, I'm and I'm going to defer to Ariel because he's. A I was going to say, I'm sure I only do one auction league, and that's your guys' league. So, like, you know, it's <laughs> not something. But, I'm but I, very... I, I do just want to say though that every year it's different. Every year we, when we when we figure True. out the bounce we're going to do, we always tweak it a little bit here, a little bit there. So it's not the same every year. All right. Well, I mean, here's here's what I would say. Um, you know, if you, I like to calculate stuff by Z-scores, and if you apply the Z-score theoretical formulas, it always tells you something, and it's different every year. Uh, it spits out something, usually somewhere between 60 and 70 uh, for hitters. Uh, this year in the NFBC, uh, it was about 62-63 in terms of percentage, which is on the low side. It used to be about 68, 69%, somewhere closer to that. Um, but I'll tell you what my answer is, um, and we're going to use the exaggerated case for this. What I mean by that is, um, 
let's say the market – the answer, by the way, is you do what the market does. You should set something pretty close to what the market does. Maybe tweak it a little bit. So if you're better at hitters, maybe tweak it two percentage points more towards pitchers just to give you the little bit of propensity to get another pitcher to help you. But in general, it's market. And the reason is as follows. Let's say, for example, you played in an auction and the whole league decided to go – 90-10 hitters, right? 90% hitters, 10, okay? And you came in with a valuation, and you said, I know the formula says 65-35. That's the answer. So what's going to happen if everyone's doing 90-10 and you're doing 65-35? Well, <laughs> you would have almost nothing for the hitters. The whole yeah. league would clobber you in hitters. Your pitching would be unbelievable. You're going to get every pitcher you want. You know, no hitters that you want because all the hitters are going to look expensive. All the pitchers are going to look dirt cheap. And so you'll finish middle of the pack, right? You're going to get all the points in, in pitching. You get no points in hitting. How about the other way around? What if you did it 1090? Um, you get same thing, right? You're going to crush the hitting because all your, you know, and, and you're going to uh, fall down in the hitting because you're, you're, you're uh, you know, if, 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 everyone's, if everyone's spending 10% on hitters and you're spending 65 Man, you're gonna you're gonna crush it, and vice versa for pitching. So um, that's obviously not right either, right? There's no there's, the point is there's no theoretical thing. It's it's just what the market does. You you want to set up your auction values so that theoretically there are bargains for pitchers available and there are bargains for hitters, right? If you don't do that, if you don't set to what the market does on average you're going to find that there's way too many pitchers for bargain and not enough hitters or vice versa. But if you set your amount where, aha, it looks like there's a couple of cheap pitchers and a, look, a couple of cheap hitters and there's places to buy, that's really the way you should play it. You want to set your money to the market. I mean, we talk on this show about the concept of market premium that if you come to an auction and you see that every starting pitcher is going $6 over, it's okay to pay a little bit more over your prices. Like, we don't usually want to pay over, but if everyone's paying $6 over, you can pay more. If you paid $3 over, well, I mean, you're getting a bargain compared to the market premium. You're only paying a $3 premium, and everyone else is wasting 6 But you know what? If you actually just tilted your hitter-pitcher split and put a little bit towards more towards the pitching, because that's what the market's doing— You'll actually see, oh, wait a minute. Now, if, if it came down and you lost a couple dollars, you'll see, oh, wait a minute. Some, everyone's going $2 over, but I see one pitcher that's $1 under a bargain. Aha, that's the one I'll buy. So it's really just perspective, right? All of this is just perspective. If you're okay personally with seeing market premiums of $5, $6 a pitcher and you know that you can buy $2 over and that's fine, it really doesn't matter what your hitter-pitcher split is. You just have to pay the market premium. But if you want to have numbers prepared for you that's indifferent to hitter and pitcher being expensive or not, you want to actually do the average. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. It makes, it makes sense, and that's why every year the models are different. Every year sometimes it's 65 35 sometimes it's 64 you know it, it it really bases it's all based on how the market is and we have to play the market even if we don't want to otherwise you can't win yeah two there's two additions to that though um one is if you're in a points league that's not true because you know whereas you have hitter pitcher you must get you have there's five hitter categories five pitcher categories in points points are points um, if you see that it's ridiculously cheap for pitchers, you can exploit that and just have little hitting. It doesn't matter. Points are points. So that's not true. Uh, it, it really is according to what, what your numbers say. If you do a Z-score process and it says 80-20, I'd actually lean heavily towards that and not what the market's doing. The market could be wrong in points leagues. Um, for Jason's question, at the end of the year, uh, I use the formula, and the formula will always so show something. It'll usually show, though, that that hitters are more, so you won't get the 62% that the NFBC was. You'll get something close to like 69%, but I would actually use whatever the, the valuation is at the end, uh, whatever the formula says. Um, and uh, obviously we're not going to go through how to operate the formulas, but it's talking about variance. It's talking about how widely things are distributed. If if hitters are all clustered together in a certain year, there's not much difference, so they're not going to be as valuable. Whereas if there's hitters that are just way, way better than everybody else, then there's going to be a lot of difference, and you'll have a lot more uh, uh, value going towards hitters, if that makes sense. Yep. All right. Um, last question from Alex. 
Uh, back to pitching here. Um, hey, Ariel, you talked recently about sorting statistics by what inning a reliever was pitching, meaning who is pitching the eighth. How do you do that? I guess the question to you, Michael, is you know how, how do you look at good relief pitchers to buy maybe some save opportunities or good people? I mentioned that it's it's high leverage situations. Yes. Um, yep. what, what do you sort on, and you know maybe how do you find that statistic online? Yeah, um, I mean, kind of like he said, uh, high leverage. Um, I mean, I I personally just like to track and see how these managers like to use them. Um, but uh, there is game leverage index, um, and I'm drawing a blank at where I find it though. Do you do you look at game leverage in- index or no? Yeah, I, I do, and it's on where, the win probability. Yeah, fan graphs. You go to right? the uh, win probability section of anybody's page. Um, or right. do leader, leaderboards. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's win probability. And, and then there's a couple of leverage. There's game leverage when you're entering, game leverage when you're exiting, average game leverage. There's a bunch of them there. But those are the leverage index. And and just as you – I agree, by the way, Michael. You, um, like, you can go on roster resource on fan graphs and just see how they've been used in the past couple of weeks. Are they pitching the eighth or the seventh? That's more of a qualitative thing. Yep. All right. Anything else to add, everyone? We did a lot of stuff in this episode. Well, I do have my injury update because we're ah, talking yes. about all these. Because we have all these, we're talking about all these streamers. I thought I'd mention some sp- players that were streamed at last year, some pl- uh, offensive guys and pitchers as well. I'll start with David Bodie. He underwent surgery in early November, and he has uh, he, for his shoulder, and he has a full six months f- until he returns. So he's going to be out until early May. So keep that in the back of your keep him in the back of your mind. Adam Engel had his left shoulder cleaned up at the end of the season, but he's expected to start when the season starts. He did miss a good portion of uh, over a month in the second half of the season because of a shoulder injury. He And then when he came back, he wasn't fully healthy. So he's a guy he can you can stream him if you need some stolen bases on the, on the down low. He's a guy you can get. Another guy you can stream for stolen bases, that's Kevin Kiermeyer. He actually had right knee arthroscopic surgery the beginning of November. He had a small meniscus tear. He's expected to resume his full activities around Around this time, four to six weeks after the surgery, he should be good to go for spring training. Some pitchers now. Nick Anderson, he had elbow surgery the end of October. He was expected to be shut down for three to four months, which means that he may be out for the first or almost for the, almost the first half of next year. So he's someone you may look for toward the end of the season to pick up. Two other guys you may want to look toward to pick up the end of the season. Dustin May, he began playing catch the beginning of November. We had him on a couple of our teams. He had Tommy John surgery in May. He's He may miss all of next year, but there's a chance he may come out of the bullpen next year. Also, Mr. Churv, Joey Lucchese, he also began throwing um, in November. He had Tommy John back in June, and he has the same timeline to return as Dustin May. All right. Awesome. Um, so that's the end of the show. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. And, you know, before you go, why don't you uh, just tell us where we can see your stuff, plug everything that you do. And uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I do weekly articles on Rotographs. So you could see me there. And then uh, also I run spstreamer.com, which is a blog where we talk about fantasy baseball as well. So uh, you can catch me there as well as our podcast, which is just the SP Streamer podcast. There you go. Uh, great stuff. Uh, great follow on Twitter uh, on Twitter as well. Um, uh, SP Streamer is the Twitter handle. Easy to remember there. Uh, Ruvain, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out the injury updates. Beginning in about two weeks, I'm going to be starting all from the beginning. I'm going to go through all the players to get you ready for your drafts. And I also have a weekly article during the season on Rotoballer. Yep, and you can find my stuff at Rotoballer and at Rotographs as well. We write with our fellow writers here. Um, my Twitter handle is ATCNY, the shortest Twitter handle in all of fantasy baseball. Sorry, Sporer, I beat you by a letter. Um, and... Uh, yeah, ATC projection is going to come out in between three and four weeks. Uh, goodness gracious, can't can't wait for that. Uh, always exciting when we get the first cut. Uh, so look forward to that, everyone. And, of course, you can listen to me right here each week on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Ruvain, this is the last uh, episode of the season that we're going to do. We did, this is our 56th episode of the year. So uh, we did, on average, even more than once a week. So, uh, you know... Congrats and uh, great job this whole year, by the way. Same to you. Do you have any New Year's resolutions for this podcast or for fantasy baseball next year? 
Oh, <laughs> for fantasy baseball, no, more the same. This podcast, uh, I, I mean, it's just my commitment that uh, we're just going to put out great stuff each and every week. Um, I, I could stand to lose a couple of pounds. I mean, that's a pretty common, uh, a pretty common one. Uh, what about what about you, uh, Michael? Um, I don't really have any. <laughs> um. I'm trying to think. I mean, I've been working out a lot lately, which is good. So I I would like to continue that. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I honestly, I want to say I would love to actually try and travel more next year. But with everything that's happening as of late, that might be out the window. So. <laughs> and Michael, what is in those mugs that you're drinking? When you're <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is, it a protein, is it a protein shake? Is it alcohol? No, uh, no um, it depends. It's either coffee or tea. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, you should have said something better, though, I think. Boring. So, sorry. <laughs> yeah, all, all good stuff. Hey, listen, I'm trying to work out a couple times a week, uh, but, you know, I'm not a gym guy. I can't go and do treadmill. That's boring. I got to run after a ball. So while uh, I play softball in the uh, in the uh, regular uh, spring and summer seasons, um, you know, I've been playing – I play tennis, but I've been playing a lot of pickleball lately. I don't know if you guys have heard of pickleball, but it's the latest craze. It's the largest growing sport in America, and uh, – Man, I, I, that is so much fun to play. I, I, I can't stop playing it a couple times a week. It's, wow. You guys heard of it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, but I, I took a, I didn't know what it was, but a, a pickleball place opened up where I am. And uh, the first, they, they had like a beginner's course, just uh, anybody come and we'll teach you the game. And uh, I learned, you know. And uh, then, you know, what do you do next? Well, I signed up for like an open session. I signed up for the beginner session. Anybody come. And so I signed up, and it was me and three other 65-year-old women. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know how to play. I'll just try as hard as I can. And I just – I don't know. I, I just kept smashing the ball and crushing them. And then after, like, two games, I'm like, all right, I, I guess this is not the level. I guess I'm a little bit higher than that. So Maybe your New Year's resolution should be that you create a fantasy pickleball league. I think that's next. <laughs> Fantasy pickleball. Uh, yeah. Ben Johns is the uh, known as the best pickleball guy in America, by the way. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyways, that's it for our fantasy baseball show here. Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangrass. Once again, thank you so much to the SP streamer, Michael Simeone, for coming on the show. And for me and Ruvain and everyone here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangrass. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.